Welcome to the U.S.-China Insights Podcast from the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, featuring short interviews with leading experts on timely issues affecting the U.S.-China relationship. How has the U.S.-China trade war affected the global economy? Let's start with the countries that um, probably stand to lose the most. First of all, these are net commodity exporters um, such as Russia, Brazil, but also countries like um, um, Chile, um, Australia. And the reason is very simple. You know, if you've got a weaker global growth, it's likely to depress, um, depress commodity prices. Now, another group of countries which also uh, stands to lose from kind of general weakness in import demand in both China and the US are um, Sweden, um, Germany, the Czech Republic. So these are kind of the losers. One country which uh, is likely to be one of the largest beneficiaries is Mexico. And this is because Mexico is often number two or number three, three kind of largest supplier of uh, the same goods that uh, China exports uh, to, uh, to the US. Um, another country which is in the same group, a little bit to the less extent, is, is Canada. But you know, that's, uh, these, are the, these, are the, these are the winners. And um, kind of one thing that I would like to emphasize when we talk about, um, when we talk about tariffs and uh, winners and losers, look, if there, is, if there are additional tariffs, um, most countries stand to lose, right? Uh, so we can talk about winners, uh, we can talk about outperformance only in relative terms. So I think I really would like to make it very clear. What have been the implications for other countries in Asia, particularly emerging markets? The impact varies depending on, on the country. And um, if you look, for example, at the items that were already affected by the 10% and the 25% tariffs, um, imports from, uh, of these items from China to the US uh, declined by about a quarter in the first four months of the year. But what is interesting is that the bulk of this decline was offset by stronger imports uh, from countries like India, um, Vietnam, uh, South Korea, Taiwan. So, you know, the, the, the shift is definitely, is definitely happening. Now, if you look at the largest beneficiaries, uh, these are first and foremost the countries with pre-existing alternative um, suppliers. But you know what is interesting is that one particular country really stands out. It's Vietnam. And Vietnam is truly emerging as a new manufacturing hub, not just in Asia, but, um, but in the globe. Could this shift to other markets influence China's current economic policies? So the potential is, is clearly there. And I think you know, this, this, this shift in supply chains is likely to be much more pronounced if additional tariffs if, uh, is announced. Now, if you add to this a better business environment in countries like South Korea and Taiwan, and the fact that China's labor costs increased quite a bit over the past few years, I would say there is definitely food for thought uh, for Chinese authorities um, as regards you know, opening the economy um, and um, you know, perhaps pursuing a little bit more of reforms. It actually might help to explain why there was a little bit more progress uh, uh, after the latest um, uh, trade, war, uh, trade war bout. What do you believe is at the heart of this trade dispute? Is there an underlying geopolitical issue, or is it purely economic? Uh, well, the 
geopolitical element is is definitely there. You know, we are talking about uh, strategic strategic rivalries. We are talking about China's as a rising power trying to figure out what its place in the world, what kind of um, uh, world power it's going to be. Uh, what, what what is in its interests and what is not, and how this might affect interests of, of other countries. Um, you know, an important element of this is um, technological competition. Well, after all, we are living in the era of the fourth <laughs> industrial revolution. And, um, you know, if you think about China's establishing strong economic links with other parts of the world, this is almost like a natural seeding ground for China's indigenous technologies, perhaps not immediately, but definitely in the future. And you know, one question you want to ask yourself is whether at some point these technologies might decouple from, from US-based uh, systems. Now, as regards, um, as regards kind of purely economic agenda, uh, one interesting aspect to consider is whether the competition between China and the US is a test of uh, which of these two systems provides a more efficient allocation of capital, right? In the US, we uh, kind of get used to the fact that it's uh, freely functioning financial markets, which is the main medium. In China, the central planning aspect is, is much, more, uh, much more prevalent. And in a sense, for example, if you look at the Belt and Road Initiative, it's in a sense, it's a life test of whether projects that were financed by China um, using these kind of different sets of principles and different sets of rules will turn out to be viable in, in, in the longer term. The trade war could end as soon as a deal is reached, but what could the long-term effects of this dispute be? Well, if you want to talk about, let's say, uh, longer-term economic implications, two things uh, I think um, are worth mentioning. One is the internalization of the Chinese currency. Um, Chinese authorities are very actively promoting the use of the Chinese renminbi in um, international transactions and also promoting its status as, um, as, a, as a world reserve currency. China's renminbi became a world reserve currency in 2016, but its share remains significantly less than that of the big three, the US dollar, the euro, and the Japanese yen. If enacted, fiscal reforms in China could narrow this gap. Another aspect is um, if you look at uh, the competition between the US and China, um, the question is how this will affect China's ability to deal with its internal imbalances. Because, well, China became rich, but at a cost. And um, one of the most kind of, one of the biggest costs is the level of debt. Um, according to various estimates, uh, debt to GDP ratio in China is between 250 to 290 percent. So if we think that um, after whatever trade deal is signed, there will be additional tensions and this will affect China's growth, well, this will undermine prior assumptions that China might grow its way out of debt, right? That might no longer be the case, in which case China's vulnerability to hard lending will increase. And a related question you want to ask yourself in terms of longer term consequences, what would be the implications for the legitimacy of, um, of the governing structures?
We look at many of these topics, um, specifically structural changes in Chinese economy uh, in our blog, which is called How is China Doing? So if you have a couple of minutes, feel free to look at it on our website. For more videos and podcasts, visit our digital media library at www.ncuscr.org media. Thank you.